0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, always playing the finest in indie pop from that golden decade. And sometimes before, sometimes after. I'm sometimes confused. But anyway... As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of Geneva, all the way from Scotland, because I spoke to one of the main members, Andrew Montgomery, a week, a month ago, I don't know, it was a while back, uh, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and being in a rock and roll band. This is the interview, and after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very important point of the c86 cassette that came out with the nme back 30 plus years ago and after that andrew mentioned this this is it enjoy make notes i will test you at the end andrew it's over to you
1: absolutely i i went to university in 1987 so you can tell i'm I'm 50 now and um, that was actually uh, the era, I've got to say, I was totally uncool to start off with in the early part of the era. I mean, when I was, when, when, if we're talking about the mid-80s, I was one of these kids that, that kind of, you know, coming from a small town outside Glasgow, I was originally listening to people like, you know, early U2 and stuff like that. They were not half bad, actually, but before they got too kind of pompous, I suppose. Yeah. But then I, I think probably the, the coolest thing I ever did and the most what I felt was the most dangerous thing because I had quite a churchy upbringing was actually buying cycle candy um because that was just like one of these things like, oh my god they're called the Jesus and Mary chain this is quite this is quite transgressive you know I, it's so weird like kids wouldn't think twice about these things now but I think speaking to you you'll get you'll get my drift that that was still quite shocking yeah you know they were who they were and and, they, and yet they were just so glorious it was such a brilliant band and so and so then I went to university and Funny well enough, I was into stuff like OMD and I don't know, I was kind of going around the houses, bit of scritty-polyty and, and various things like that. Um, and then, um, you know, people, the Smiths, I was completely aware of the Smiths, but I, I've always been a little bit of a funny person. Like when, when something's hyped, I kind of tend to go in the other direction from it. Yes. So everyone I knew was listening to the Smiths and I knew they were really good, but I had this little kind of stubborn streak in me. And so at the end, I ended up, the the, the first Smith's record I ever owned was a cassette of uh, Louder Than Bombs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I I listened to Queen Is Dead, like, constantly. And then later on, I I always remember there was a guy, Paul something, I don't know his surname now, uh, English guy I met at university, was really lovely, and he was um, really into C86, he was playing all that stuff, and that kind of awoke my interest to, you know, the first and second Prime of Scream albums, especially the second one. And I just sort of, pushed off from there and then also in the you know towards the 60s direction as well where you know mid-60s still in velvet underground kind of well they almost changed my life in a a weird way I don't think they made me think I could be in a band but it suddenly gave you an indication of the possibilities of of guitar music
0: yeah absolutely well it's interesting because um because I haven't sort of yes doing this show there's and um, I was aware aware before, but uh, sort of realised that um, Scotland did, does have an amazing amount of phenomenal indie bands. You know, like yes. there was the Orchids and the Jasmine Minx and then before that you had people like uh, Strawberry Switchblade, and um, yes, and you had all that Glasgow scene as well. Postcard was,
1: Records, as well, of course. The amazing Postcard Records with, with Alan
0: Horn. So, so yes. there's there's it's now all been very well documented. And and back in those days, we had you know several things. One. Being in the NME on a Wednesday, and the other being John Peel, who obviously was brilliant at being able to locate. Like- oh, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, still there. It went quite a bit, don't worry. It was fine. You've crashed.
1: I'm still here. Oh no. <laughs> there was just a lot of noise and um Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what it was. That was really weird. Yeah, it's
0: still yeah. So I was just thinking, yeah, because I, I know when I was growing up, obviously we had the basic rollers. This has been sort of very simplistic, and then you know that was on top of the pops around seventy three. Then we had Alex Harvey. That was slightly scary and haunting, but we were <laughs> we were very sort of obsessed with. Um, you know a track called Next, which was was terrifying, and then there was uh, Delilah as well, and various other songs. Welcome to the Tea mm-hmm. Party, the Boston Tea Party, and then the Skids obviously appeared, and we were thinking, my God, this is this is the this is the sound of the future. So, so obviously, there's been you know, and then there's a lot of kind of amazing exhibitions and books that are being put together of the sort of Scottish scene. So you do have a very rich heritage on on sort of guitar-based bands. I'm sure there is also dance-based bands. But then you had the Soup Dragons who went from indie pop and again, you know, one minute and 50 seconds to to the amazing sort of dance world as well. So, Yeah. yeah, so that must... Did that... Because the one thing I've noticed when doing these interviews with a lot of the guitar bands that happened in the 80s, there was a sort of a five-year narrative and a lot went from sort of 83, 84 to 87, 88 and then Mm -hmm. kind of got knocked out because the drugs changed and suddenly ecstasy Mm. came in and it was like actually no one wants to really listen to I don't know a lot of those kind of like the June Brides and um, yeah yeah no and and the Wolf Hands. So did so were you sort of aware of that kind of change? Because obviously, if you went to university in eighty seven, you were sort of on the cusp of the world that was going to be Primal Scream, Happy Mondays, Soup
1: Dragon, and a guy called Absolutely, I- absolutely. Because like you, I was a really keen reader of Enemy and, and Melody Maker too, for that matter. And um, I, I I read those religiously and really plugged in with what they were saying. And, you know, I love to read people like Chris Roberts or uh, Sharon O'Connell or, I don't know, Neil Kulkarni later on and people like that. There there were so many great writers, Andrew Muller. There's some amazing writers out there. And, and, you know, you really took their word as gospel and they had the finger on the pulse. So, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I actually just caught up with a friend of mine on, tuesday night um after the gig i played in glasgow with geneva and um he and i were reminiscing about East bride where we grew up the same town as the mary Jane. we ended up going to um this club uh most friday nights um when the happy mondays were in their pomp you know when step on was really you know kind of dominating the airwaves and the whole kind of stone roses that whole kind of nexus yeah that was like a sea change in music you saw kind of indie kind of flowering into something else as well and and actually trying on back gear trousers and trying to dance a bit, do you know what I mean?
0: Yes. And sometimes and, uh, sometimes yeah, shocking I mean, was, results. It's, so did you so, so, interesting. So, when, yeah. so when you were at university, was that the time when you became kind of interested in sort of being in a band? I mean, when did you find your voice?
1: That's a really good question. I to be to be honest with you, I, I came from um, my my mum's always been an amazing singer. She's sung in church and stuff. My dad can more than carry a tune, as can my brother. But you know, we weren't musical instrument players in our house and the idea that someone could make the living from singing was something it it just never occurred to you. There wasn't not in a bad way, because certainly my parents have been incredibly supportive the whole way with my music career, but I don't think there was a sort of sense of self-confidence. I mean I think some you know, I came from a fairly humble background. Dad had a good office job, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there was a sense of what well, I could go and do something and, and, and form a band. What who am I? You know what, and that's the opposite of what you should feel. But that I was dead set in becoming a journalist, David. Right. Um which I, I ended up being. I ended up working for Scottish newspapers for a little bit for DC Thompson and company. Uh, also responsible for the Beano, of course, legendary publication. Yeah. But um I I, I never gave it any serious thought until I got my job with DC Thompson, came through the training and went up to Aberdeen and um, I was on holiday with, I was visiting a friend of mine I had at the time, who was from Dortmund and I went over to visit uh, him and his girlfriend in Germany and um, we were hanging out, we were in an Irish pub and then we started, we just started singing and, and you know all, all sorts of things and um, this girl who's an Irish girl made her a living singing in pub, she said you could do this for a living. And it was the first thing, you know, that, that it ever struck me. It was almost like a thunderbolt. I still remember her name. Her name was Manda Vincent. Right. She was really lovely. I just had a great chat with her. And I came back feeling a little bit changed. And quite soon afterwards, um, I I worked with this, uh, this lady called Caroline, who her boyfriend was Stephen Dora, who's the guitarist in Geneva. And she heard me, I don't know, singing along to something in the radio one day in the office. And she said, you should meet my boyfriend. He he really he's a really good guitarist, and he's been talking about trying to get a new band together, and da da da. So we started doing stuff, and I suddenly realised I could write songs with him. And it, this was all about nineteen ninety two, right? Ninety one, ninety two. So really, ninety two it was. So prior to that, I'd never really had any great ambition or or consideration that I would I would form a band. But as soon as I started doing it, it just felt really natural yeah um and I mean, did you all... feel
0: yeah. and did you feel because that's the kind of classic thing isn't it the going back from Lennon and McCartney to Marr and Morrissey and um Jagger and Richards did it did it have that sort of quality between the two of you
1: of course that's illustrious company to be citing <laughs> us next to <laughs> but what I would say is that in our own little world I think uh, I, yeah I mean you know working with Steve was just fantastic um you know he's he's a really really talented person he's very creative um he's got a lovely eccentricity about him which i really like his sense of humor is brilliant um and you know he's very he, he's a very um perceptive person and and sensitive he's a real listener you know when it comes to um, throwing ideas about he's not trying to kind of dominate the um the the musical conversation and so that was really, really good. So it was like, you know, kind of hand in glove to use a Smith's metaphor for a minute. And um, <laughs> it, it really did. It really did um, flower. And then through his connections, various people he was at university with or working with or what have you. Um, the rest of the band slowly but surely kind of assembled around us. Yeah. And then, you know, we discovered that that, that Keith, who plays bass in Geneva, and Stuart, who was a rhythm guitarist, but isn't with us in this um, iteration because he lives in California, but they they were they had musical ideas and they wanted to try and kind of pitch in with stuff. Uh, Douglas, our, our our drummer, came a lot later because we had another drummer to start with. Lovely chap, but but um, Douglas was kind of you know he made a real difference. And then it turned out as well. I mean he's an incredible musician. He plays drums, but vibraphone, piano, da da da, and he's he's you know great musical ideas and stuff as well. So you know, but it did start with 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 Steve and I, and I suppose we we wrote the lion's share of further what became further.
0: Yeah, and when did you check, you, you originally were called Sun Sunfish, did you, yep. um, were you kind of, you must have been kind of serious about that, when did you, but when did, or why did you sort of decide to change it to Geneva?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you're right, we got signed as Sunfish after about three years, kind of you know, working away on the scene in Scotland. We'd never played outside of Scotland by that point. Um, So that was a bit of a miracle that we got signed. You know, going all the way up to Aberdeen to find out about a band is quite an undertaking in those days anyway. But um, I, to be honest, there was a band in Canada called Sunfish. Um, The record company were not keen on Sunfish. We were not really so bothered about, you know, kind of digging our heels in. And just like Blur, you know, they changed their name from Seymour. We kind of thought, okay, right, we'll we'll come up with this new name and da da da. But then it was it was easier said than done because you had five different opinions, plus maybe a couple of opinions from the record company and management sides. Yeah. So we we actually got to the situation, David, where we, we, we signed our deal um in December nineteen ninety-five and we knew that we were going to change our name. But by the time we then got the chance to play uh, Sport to Suede at the end of January ninety six. And a fan club gig, which was their kind of comeback, really, with the coming up material and the introduction of um, Richard Oakes and um, Neil Codling. So this was kind of a really big event. And um, we appeared at this event, and we literally came up temporarily with a name before we went on stage called Garland. None of us liked it. I didn't like it as soon as it kind of left my lips. <laughs> and then it was one of these things we made it. Steve Sutherland, the editor then, and he was there, and he was really kind of taken aback like gosh who's this um so we start to get a bit of attention but someone in the record company somehow by some miracle managed to persuade them to hold off from uh giving us publicity under that name garland so we actually were on the enemy's turn ons we're number 10 with nature's whore which was a kind of uh what's the what's the word a promo single do you remember those oh so, yeah uh, you know, to get radio plays so we we were on as the scottish band it sounds a bit like don't mention the word the Scottish play or something. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the kind of really slightly surreal aspect. So then you know, Saul, the head of Nude, who always took a really close interest in his bands, he was starting to get really agitated about this, and I remember he phoned us up one day and he said, "Okay, look, this is nonsense. We've got to we've got to come up with a name here. We're 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 going to go out on tour in about a month and a bit's time. And this was maybe you know." late, it was early February, um, 96. So we basically had about half an hour to come up with names. We started writing down names. We had about 10. I had, one of the things I'd done was, was take a dictionary and turn it at random and look down. And at the bottom of the page was Geneva and not the city, but gin. Uh-huh. I'm not great. I'm not great. No great lover of gin. I don't mind the gin and tonic. Don't get me wrong, but I um I don't know. That was just one of the wor- words that we put down.
0: Yes, it was probably best to have a sort of a time limit. Otherwise, you could have spent the exactly. And actually, exactly. you 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 would have probably got some. I don't know. There's always those stories, aren't there? The, the spinal. Exactly. There's always the spinal tap. You know, a girlfriend the <laughs> member of the band who just wants to knit jumpers and, and have an input on the musical direction, which is um <laughs> never going to end well. So look, at that time Britpop Pop was kind of really in our face and everyone was very excited. Mm. Were you feel, because because I noticed that most musical trends have a very limited lifestyle, ear span before the, it becomes a bit rubbish, like you know, glam rock and probably the sixties started to bring out some cheesy stuff. And obviously, you know, the indie world sort of, you know, by the time eighty seven, eighty eight came around, you know, a lot, everything felt a bit tired and then suddenly, oh, look, grunge and oh, dance music. Oh, that's much more interesting. So a lot of those <laughs> bands were just really struggling to get any press, even though they'd, you know, a few years before had sort of been getting quite a lot of attention and sort of, yeah, you know, thinking things were going well for them. Which is always kind of, it, that. that's one of the things that I really do, like you said at the beginning, you know, people like you uh, 2 and the other band is Simple Minds. You know, I quite liked their very early stuff, and then I didn't like them. But looking back, I think God, you've done really well to keep it together.
1: Yeah, I totally the, the agree A, with you that. You haven't
0: killed yourse- uh, killed each other, um, and all yourselves, which is good. And also, you've you've kind of gone through those musical um fashions where people go yeah don't bother mate we're, we're sort of happy with new the new kids on the block whoever they yeah. so i mean it's kind of so it, so yeah so when brit pop was happening were you rehearsed and thinking we really need to get out there soon because this is kind of our
1: our moment that's a really good question Albert. again very perceptive to be honest i think we were just excited to get going because this was something that we'd been working towards for three years. And we were all giving up jobs. I mean, I was giving up a job as a journalist to come and do this full time. Steve was working like in marine biology. A couple of the others had just graduated. You know, they could have gone off and got jobs. In fact, Keith, the bass player, had gone off to do to start a law uh, postgrad in London. And he walked away from that. So, you know, there, I think it was more from the sort of personal engine but I can't deny that we felt the excitement of it all. We'd all listened to it, definitely, maybe we're all very much aware of suede. We're all very much aware of, you know, the, the studings from the likes of pulp and things and blur. And, you know, there was definitely a feeling that something was happening, but I don't, I don't exactly remember when the Brit pop moniker was actually applied. And the funny thing was that, um, especially when I look back at it now being Scottish, living in Sweden um, and everything being so atomized and, and, Probably most, or not most, but a lot of people, my generation, accepting that probably the UK will not be an entity in maybe the next five to ten years. There was at that time that was maybe the last kind of great kind of UK uh, unity that there was as a result of a little of a of a musical um, kind of era, and yet it was a bit of a misnomer, yeah, because because you know they were all gathered the classic. Image was based around Camden Town. Well, what does that say to people in Norwich, where I think you're based? Or what does it say to people, uh, you know, in Manchester? Because we'd had the Manchester scene. So it was, in a way, it was, you know, it's not that those other things weren't Britpop either in their own way. Manchester, in a lot of ways, was Britpop, you know, if you really want to apply the term in a really loose way. But instead, what this was, was more about national identity, well, I think if you... This is a very long-winded way of saying, I think if you listen to a Geneva album, you're not going to hear flag waving or you're not going to hear stuff about Dirty Pigeons. Brilliant, though it was. <laughs> absolutely brilliant album, though it was. I have to say that. Um, and it really does... You know, we spent a lot of time listening to that, not ripping it off, but just like being really inspired by the creativity that was there. Yeah. But, but, you know, Geneva, no, I don't think... I think we surfed that wave a little bit, but I don't think we really belonged. It was quite laddish. Um, don't get me wrong; I mean, I'm not some kind of shy retiring wallflower, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm quite out there, quite kind of, you know, a verbal kind of person. I'm. I i do not know. I mean, I you. I need music to explain myself, but I'm also kind of, you know, there's other other facets, so to speak. But at the same time, I I felt as if we didn't really fit in with a lot of that sort of. That whole scene that was created around Britpop, yeah, and so we were a bit of a bit of that and a bit of other stuff as well.
0: Well, it's interesting because when the album came out further, which was um, the summer of ninety seven, I mean, it was it was kind of interesting because there was a kind of a there was that well, it actually, it's a huge political change because we'd had a conservative government since like 79 mm. with Margaret mm. Thatcher, and then we had John the John Major years, and obviously yeah. there was that kind of element of of. of um, New Labour and Tony Blair, and also the sort of, there, there was that kind of the, the famous kind of the Union Jack had slightly been brought back from say the the far right to being something yes. that we yes. sort of not feel quite so embarrassed about, which was quite an interesting thing. So that called cool Britannia was was quite an interesting moment that we probably, I don't know, look back and think, my God, if only we could go back to, him. but um, at, the, mm. at the time we took off uh, a bit more grass again. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, so there was a kind of a bit of a wave of optimism and things changing. And, Mm. and, um, Mm. you know, it was it was kind of an interesting period because then there felt like this kind of from the grayness. I mean, this is very simplistic, isn't it? The grayness that had been the kind of end of the Conservative government to the the new, exciting new kids in town, really, with with new Labour. So it was interesting your album came around or, or. kind of released at that time because there was a lot of clubs as well. And obviously the one thing that I've noticed in this show, looking back on the good old days, I say sarcastically, but there were the (laughs) gatekeepers, because you did have, you know, like you had the NME and you had John Peel and you had a few other outlets. And and obviously not everyone could get in on those, but if you did, you would just hit a bigger audience. So what I found you know, it's like if you if someone got a play on John Peel and a John Peel session you know, then there's these little indie clubs that, that were scattered around the country from Norwich to Brighton to Bristol, to Glasgow, Manchester, Leeds, etc. You know, they would get a phone call saying, do you want to come and play in Norwich in two, you know, two months time? We'll put you on on a Tuesday night. And people would go, oh, yes, that'll be fine. We'll put it in our calendars. <laughs> we'll drive hundreds of miles. But you knew that you'd play in front of like almost two, 300 people who weren't, you know, your friends, family and anybody else you could emotionally blackmailed to go and see you. Which happens when you which, which what happens when you're in your own town, but you could play in front of strangers who know. Oh, that's beautiful, man.
1: That is beautifully <laughs> beautiful there's an arc you've just drawn there that is just so brilliant. And 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 indie clubs were so important to me growing up Because like I say, I was a, a very uncool kid at school, quite religious, whatever. But then on the flip side of it I was listening to I was going to indie clubs where they were playing, you know, like um um early early hip hop mixed with Uh, you know they would be playing kind of 60s stuff they'd be playing felt or whatever so that was that's what indie clubs meant to me not purely guitar driven music but you know maybe predominantly but you know that's where I discovered my musical universe and so yeah there was there was definitely a scene that was ripe for that and if that was a good thing about the whole gatekeepers thing it's what it was that there was a genuine excitement and there was a genuine kind of sense of Uh, being delivered something you know kind of the tablets of stone being brought down from the mountain yeah by by Moses Peel et al Um, and that was great the flip side of it is that things are obviously more democratic today spread out we maybe don't have scenes so much um, but you know maybe it was a little bit too much that sometimes it was an inordinate amount of influence I'm not talking about um, the late John Peel god bless him but I'm talking maybe more about the inkies I think there was more of a kind of a feeling of there could be somebody who would have a bad day or there would be someone who would have you know every ever true bless him I hope he's well, but he had this outlandish theory that Geneva were a made up band that you know that we had to actually battle against that 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 you know that preconception that somehow took hold or that we didn't hear you beforehand so you must you wouldn't have paid your dues I well you weren't coming to clubs in Aberdeen or Dundee or Edinburgh or Glasgow. You know, Alex Capranos was putting on nights in Glasgow that we were going down to play. You yes. know, I remember Alex, uh, he was in a band called The Blisters. Absolutely, absolutely diamond geezer. I'm so happy for him, how his, um, his career's gone, because he's just a, a really lovely guy. I kept touch with him for a wee bit when he was in the Carilia, and then we lost touch, and then suddenly the man was a superstar and brilliant at it. And, you know, so I think, sorry, I'm going round the houses, but I think what I'm trying to say is that it was great, but at the same time it had its its pitfalls. But we were lucky that when we got in with noon to it was a very credible label. Uh, we started to get airplay. We started to get a bit of support, early championing by um, Joe Wiley, for example. Um, we had Jim Gelletley, who's a, a, a stalwart of the, the Scottish uh, music scene. He's still going, actually, has a show with amazing radio. He broke us in Aberdeen, to be fair, and he was incredibly supportive. Um, so, you know, it, I'm really thankful for that world we came up in. Um, And just hearing you talk about it, it's quite moving that we'll never see that again. It was a period in time.
0: Yes, I mean, like you said, I mean, there were, I did see a lot of comments from journal, uh from musicians who would had a bad time with the NME, who were slightly dancing on the on the grave when when it was kind of announced it was closing because they'd obviously had some you know really crappy you know reviews which were probably quite unnecessary and um, it doesn't really help the situation. So uh, no, I'm
1: sad that it, I'm sad that it ended though. Even if I wasn't re- reading it so much, the end, I was also really sad the Melody Maker went because. You know, we were so lucky. There was a period around about ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. You know, I mean, I include Everett True in this. I mean, he's fantastic writing about the grunge scene. I mean, the guy was the guy was great. You know, then like I mentioned, Chris and Chris Roberts and people like that. Then you do people, even if it was music I didn't like, you you wanted to read about um, Huggy Bear, even if you didn't like their music, you thought, Wow, they're really challenging my conceptions about stuff. Yeah, you know, and that that for me was just an Incredible learning curve, yeah. Um, well, I suppose you know? that,
0: yes, I, I suppose that's what John Peel did. He, I mean, you know, I like the fact that he sort of would find all virtually every a track from every genre from sort of indie to rock to sort of thrash metal to reggae, hip hop, mm. you know, and some Bulgarian folk, which I thought was, he was peerless, think, wasn't he? Yeah, that, he that really was, was
1: peerless. There's, was there's cool. been some great broadcasters, but John, I think John just was very gifted.
0: He was. So, then how did you follow up your debut album? Because, um. Because sometimes, you know, I know it's always that cliche about the second one, but it's not always the case. Because sometimes, like the Smiths' first album, I thought was dreadful, really, and um, but the the production <laughs> didn't sound very good, and you wouldn't have thought you could have, they, you know, it was just a very ordinary band. God, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but they did sound. That <laughs> but the second album, you know, then hat proved full of, you wrong. <laughs> then half full of hollow came along. Actually, you yeah. know, bizarrely, just to say, I thought Big Country. Was so much better than you two, and I, you know, and I thought they're going to be the biggest band in the world, and then I thought Husker Do were going to be the big band. So basically, don't follow most of me. them are great, <laughs> yeah.
1: But but, yeah. Both,
0: but both were were actually Big Country were, but Husker du weren't quite the band that i had been telling everyone, you know, they were going to be the biggest band ever. So, but it did make <laughs> me. It did, I, I just forgot about my Big Country moment because that first album they did was just like glorious. The, and, the
1: Crossing, yeah, it was just that's like, brilliant. It's, I can still listen to is it, is it Chance That one about Yeah I can't even sing Because so I lost my voice After the A wee bit after the Glasgow You know the, the Oh Lord Yes yeah, I never felt so long. I know Whatever what I love song. that I love that song yeah. Well it's I bad.
0: And I, I really like The second album Even though the production Was a bit sort of Steel Town yeah, because got yeah, wonder, it's got yeah. it's got Wonderland and and some really yeah. well. They knew how to write anthems, and that's the that's, they surely, they surely that, that did. was good. Yeah, so then your second album. How did that sort yep. of how did you sort of gather yourself after after further?
1: Well, I mean, I, we will probably get back to something that you said about scenes coming and going in a minute. Um, sort of remind me to come to that. But what I would say is that it started a little bit with a bang, and that bang was my vocal cords. In the sense of, and you can file this under the wilderness years and how they begin. Um, I would say we were playing, we'd played in the um, US with Catherine Wheel, who, although they were an English band, had really cracked the college circuit over there. Um, and were great guys, actually. We were lucky to, to play sport with them. And uh, we ended up, the plan was that we were going to support them in the States and then they were going to come support us in the UK and um which is a weird one really but you think about it because they were a much bigger band but anyway uh, that's how this that was decided and uh then we in between we went to europe with supergrass and and by the time i uh, got to edinburgh and played my voice was giving out i had the flu i was drinking a bit as well so probably being a bit silly and then uh, my voice actually went in of all places near enough my hometown of glasgow so it was one of those moments where you just think, oh, my God. And I was diagnosed with you know, acute laryngitis. I needed six weeks rest. So that was the tour out of the window. And as a result of that, um, the record company took the snap decision that this is an opportune moment to go away and quickly write a follow-up. And to be honest, we weren't ready to write a follow-up. I don't blame them for doing it. I can see the logic behind it. But we were suddenly, we'd been putting all our energies into touring and then suddenly we had to try and come up with new ideas. And I think the first new ideas that we came with, they were just, they were underwhelming. They we weren't there. Um, it was taking a long time. The record company weren't blown away with what we were coming up with. You have to remember as well, quite a lot of the time with with bands, with your when you put, you do your first record, that's kind of a summation of, what you've you've been working on over the years that you've been together i mean some of the songs on further were possibly 2 years old into the blue was probably about 2 years old by the time we got signed and had gone through kind of various iterations so you know it's 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 not easy to just sur- suddenly conjure up new ideas or at least it wasn't in genevaland and then it was compounded by the fact that when we were finally ready to go to the studio or the record company had deemed us to be ready um we were, we met various producers, uh, including the late Johnny Dollar. God bless him, who basically told us you'll like this one. He said, "Yeah." He said, "You wouldn't be, I wouldn't be any good to work with you. You should go and work with Tim Freeze Green." <laughs> so that was quite cool, wasn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So so, and then we met with Neil Davidge, um, who did Mezzanine. Bright. was very involved piecing that together he actually had much more of a role than people realise, because I think Massive Attack are the sort of band that really work with an engineer that helps them piece together things um, oh, that was that, that seemed like it might be not a bad fit we even spoke to um, Nigel Godrich and god that would have been amazing if that had come off but unfortunately in the meeting he talked about how he really liked that song Out of the Blue <laughs> 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 he was like, oh! So like um, I don't know I'm Missing talent Oh,
0: I think you're something just slightly oh, went there. Did I'm sorry. you just
1: Did you just move? I did move. I'm really sorry. My back was hurting. Oh no, it's okay. you hear me okay now? Sorry, I
0: can see you okay. I thought God, you sound like you just <laughs> fallen over,
1: oh, over the edge. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, yes. Sorry about that. No, no so so that we had this this kind of roll call, and then finally, I don't remember who came up with Howie B, but um, the record company gave us carte blanche uh, after we met Howie. And so a lot of the boys were listening to dance music. So perhaps we were trying to make a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a kind of an extra leap, you know, a little bit of a leap too far from where we'd been. And so that was like a little bit like, okay, we'd worked with Mike Hedges, we'd come up with Further, which was fantastic. Great experience. Mike is absolutely brilliant, complete legend, lovely human being. There's an argument that says perhaps we should have gone with Mike to consolidate and we might've got somewhere, but instead we were in with Howie who was brilliant and he took us in different directions, but arguably he wasn't really a guitar band producer, although there were some interesting experiments which came from it. Yeah. Um, and then the record company didn't like that. Uh, and I should say that before Howie, we'd very briefly been paired up with Magnus Fines and Jeremy Wheatley, who belonged to the same production stable, but hadn't worked together either. Um, and they worked on Museum Mile with us, um, but Magnus seemed to be very interested in, interested and and busy and working on a fat les christmas song or something and his brother ray fines would be calling up and everything else so in the end we ended up going down to work with with jeremy magnus gonna step back from it um, kind of at our invitation to be perfectly honest with you yeah um so so then so then we moved to howie then the record company were really not happy with what had happened with howie um and then um they decided oh we have to rescue this we have to get some singles okay, these three or four songs will be good. And it was Tommy D that worked with Catalonia, uh, Catalonia. Oh, my God, sorry. Catalonia. <laughs> um, so, you know, so it was like a, a case of um from one initial to another. And Tommy was great to work with, don't get me wrong. But again, it was like further studios. We must have gone through 10 studios in about a year and a bit's process. And to, to go on to my point about scenes... By that point, Kylie and Robbie were beginning to dominate. I think it was the case of the kind of '90s angst is giving way to, okay, let's just celebrate yes. the new millennium that's coming. Let's let's not be angsty anymore. Let's not have this and that. And besides, as soon as we came back, even though I don't, I would always argue, and not in a bitter or a funny way, we're not we're not a play band, but they, roughly speaking, inhabited that gentler side of the indie universe. As did Travis, so I guess you know there wasn't really any need for a Geneva at that point, even Absolutely. though we tried to be experimental.
0: Yes, I can. Yes, it's interesting. You mentioned the Robbie Kylie because suddenly he went from sort of angels to sort of. Let me entertain you, and then there was the millennium, and suddenly house prices went through the roof, didn't it? I'm not saying they're all connected, but there was there was <laughs> there was suddenly there was that kind of new labour, and suddenly everybody was like uh, there was money in the. Are the you arts.
1: saying he's an evil puppet master of the world?
0: <laughs> he was. Well, suddenly the arts got flooded with lots of money. So lots yeah. of places suddenly amazing i just remember in norwich you know there was lots of places got you know lots of money and did well and then when the funding stopped they all sort of moaned and, and you know just had to sort of finish but you know there was a few years where people were almost thinking they could walk in water and and it was all going to be wonderful so yes the sun was shining during that period
1: yeah maybe geneva's um brand of sun showers didn't really kind of um, go across it's a shame because there are some great songs on Weather Underground and, you know, still to this day, I'm proud that we did it. Um, It's a little bit of a curate's egg in my personal opinion, not the opinion of everyone else in the band, maybe. Um, various people have different opinions, probably. But um, but I just know that, you know, it was an interesting experience Um, and there's some great work that we're, that we're playing live now. But by the time we'd gone through it all to find that the record company was in financial crisis... And that they pulled the budget for touring because they couldn't afford to pay the the kind of the deposit, the insurance deposit for the shows. You knew that the the game was up. I mean, we'd already signed on temporarily during the second album process, so it taken a lot out of us. Yeah, and um, and I think everyone was just at their wits' end and decided And I, you know, I kind of felt as well. Oh God, I've got this university degree. I've been a journalist. If you can't rely on this then why why should you be sitting there knocking doors until your knuckles bleed and 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 not just go and try and get some money somewhere else? Because you've got to look after yourself. So that's kind of what I did, really.
0: Yeah. So did you know when you were recording that album and you were doing, I don't know if you can remember the last track you were, doing, were putting no. together, but did you sort of feel the party was over?
1: Not necessarily at that point. It felt good that we'd actually got things done, that it had been very bruising. But that we were ready to kind of, you know, really go out there and launch it and explain it and how we were trying to be more ambitious and we weren't just treading water. But by the time the actual release was about to start in March two thousand, uh, as as they say in 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 Scotland, the ball was up in the slates. You know, it really was kind of it was it was not looking good. Yeah. Uh, and you know we ended up playing our last gig in May two thousand in London. And we just knew that we couldn't take this any further. There yeah. was the, the, You know, there was there was no there were no offers on the table. We didn't know what we were going to do next. We all had to earn money, and um, it was really sad. But you know, I mean, it's a first-world problem. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's really sad. And I'm sure there are people with music business stories that are a million times more horrendous, like the Bay City Rollers. You you mentioned at the beginning of our call. Oh god. Okay. Um, okay. But, but, just... but, but uh, you know to have that. And not see any of the reward rewards of it, it's just horrendous to me. But um, but um, yeah, I mean you know that was that. Yeah. Um, and did and you um,
0: and did you have a moment where you were in the pub or in the studio to say, shall we just stop this or shall we call it a day, or did you just or not turn up to a rehearsal?
1: No, it was it wasn't that. Um, I think we knew when we were playing the gig in London. we Would start to talk about stuff. And I think possibly Douglas um, on drums, he, he was probably keen to kind of see if we could continue it somehow. But everyone else had just really had enough. And to be honest, my um, my mental health wasn't the best at that point. I'd um, I'd had a little bit of a flip out and kind of run away for a few days to kind of deal with it all. And I don't know, whatever, I've just been maybe a bit overdramatic. But that's not to criticise. I mean, mental health is a really important thing, don't get me wrong. And I've had ups and downs with it over the years, and thankfully I'm okay now. But... That was just my reaction. I just couldn't cope with the pressure and stuff that there was. So I'd also met a girl in New York, and I think I was just really keen to get 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 the hell out of Dodge, really, try and start again. You know.
0: I know because I spoke to you know quite a few bands, and when it finishes, it's like, oh my god, we've got no money. (laughs) I've got no no kind of apart from playing bass or whatever. You know, I've got no other skills. I've been just touring for the last five or ten years and playing in you know and in the studio. And actually, God, what happens next? You know, and spent six, You know, I know one person mentioning that they spent six months just walking around, you know, cut their hair, and just didn't know what the hell they were going to do. You know, it was almost like they were just in in a state of shock. It was a bit like they'd gone yeah. through this kind of experience where
1: it's traumatic. It's really traumatic. traumatic. Yes, I know. And, and you know, I could
0: really I could really sense that he, he struggled during that time of thinking, yeah. what's the point? It's just been a waste of time almost. But, you I know, know. I know
1: you feel like that. You feel let down. You feel betrayed. That, that of course, there are risks that are inherent in the whole process. But I think also, and I'm, please don't take this as any elitist sort of comment, because, you know, I, I'm definitely someone that believes in social equality. But I think also maybe sometimes if you've got a trade or if you've got a, a qualification and you might even have a wee, wee professional experience before it makes you think it really makes you sway much more quickly because you think wait a minute i could be doing this other thing it's not that i need to stop doing music i could still be in a band but if nobody's going to pick up an option or whatever you know and I, you know I mean, douglas is now the ceo of an energy company steve works for the scottish government working you know a kind of wildlife policy and stuff like that um, you know, Keith, Keith's got a legal degree, you know, he's also, he does a lot of kind of, um, uh, kind of, he's been a house husband and also he's um, he manages a property he and his wife have got. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, this guy, he also does most of the admin, if not all, along with their manager. So, you know, you, you've got that, you've got that sort of aspect of, these are people that, that you know, it, it's not as if music, without music, we would, I would have to, I don't know, just... Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of give up entirely sort of thing, but at the same time, God, we missed it, you know, yes, I so really look th-
0: so so as with a lot of people, they often have to leave it sort of twenty years, but <laughs> then they think, oh God, <laughs> it's I'm... a difficult
1: third album, david, you know that's the that's the problem
0: <laughs> well, it's that kind of moment where they sometimes think you know it'd be quite nice to play a game, but um you know, it's any well yeah, and just for the for the love of it, so what happened to? to sort of
1: rekindle the flame so to speak. Yeah, I mean we we'd met sporadically now and then some of us anyway, um in the intervening time. Uh and I think we we started to talk about it a bit more about I don't know maybe about 4 years, 5 years ago. Um and at that point we still had kind of contractual obligations in terms of publishing and things when we were we were keen to let those expire because you know, we we don't want to just put money in other people's pockets in that sense. Um, And then I got the, I've always kept doing music and apart from Geneva, nowadays I have a a project called Us, which is based out of Stockholm where I live and it's a synth duo. So it kind of, it spans quite a lot of different uh, kind of electronic synth styles. So I've always been involved. I've been playing gigs without deals and things and put stuff out under my own steam. Steve, I know he's been involved. Keith's been involved. Douglas has been involved. He's, you know, brilliant drummer. So he plays with, you know, kind of various, uh, actually lived in Abu Dhabi for a while doing that as as well as day job. So we all and I know that the three of them because I was over in Sweden they, they, when Douglas moved back from Abu Dhabi they started doing a wee bit of jamming. And so you have got Steve Keith and Douglas and they're starting to put stuff together. Then I got asked to play Star Shaped uh, in 2018, and we got in touch and discussed it, but at the moment wasn't quite right. Uh, so I did it just with actually my, my, my buddy from us, Leo Yosefson. And um, that was great. Got a great reaction. It was really lovely. And then Sarshape came back and said, can you do it next year? You know, how about if we, you know, and then we knew we had a bit more kind of leeway and da-da-da. So the four of us were available, like as he stews in California. And so we started again. And the first time we got in the, the, the rehearsal room, going through Into the Blue, whatever, it was just... years just fell away um but this time you know maybe we're all a wee bit older and wiser we're all a little bit more yeah kind of a little bit less starry-eyed but but nonetheless really happy to be doing it yes and 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 these shows that we've just done in brighton london and glasgow have just underlined how lucky we are that people remember david yeah that people are so kind there was so much love in the room in all three shows that the boys were just—I I know that you know each of them really enjoyed it. They're still playing it fantastically well. I'm so, I'm so lucky to play with brilliant players like Steve on guitar, Keith on bass, and Douglas on drums. And you know, your first band is something really special, and I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed that that's back in my life. And I hope I think they feel the same as well.
0: And without sounding too kind of corny, has it been almost a bit of a healing process? <laughs> I don't know how else to, watch. you know, like you've That's had okay. you've had that experience and it's been really intense, and then you know a bit like. A really amazing love affair and then you walked away then you have you know a few decades and then come back and think oh actually and uh, you know and things happen in uh, other things happen in life so you have to put music in a bit more perspective
1: families and jobs and stuff you're quite right and parents, right. <laughs> and, parents
0: <laughs> and you deal exactly. with all that kind of stuff and then you think oh let's just enjoy the music let's not get so h- hung up about it did you sort of feel like actually you know even because you obviously had a lot of ups and downs and probably incredibly sharp you know right hand bends um did you did it sort of playing the music make you feel like oh actually this is this has been really nice to revisit it has it's been all right because you probably five years after the band or 10 years probably would have been like actually this is a bit too odd i need to i need to sort of not think about it i just wondered if that period of time helped Mm. kind of release stuff and at the same time Mm. playing it again to a some fans who were that kind rather than the edgy oh, My god are we going to get a good review because you don't probably care so much anymore about that side of life you know it's i just wanted. i just wondered if that yeah. sort of made you feel kind of emotionally or spiritually a little bit more like oh yeah this is this has been a nice this has been a good thing
1: this is brilliant what you've just said you've crystallized quite a lot of the thoughts that i've had in my head that i possibly haven't articulated before i can only agree with that i can only agree with that and i think um of course you care a wee bit still what people think about you, but the difference now is you're right. There isn't this sort of feeling of pressure in the same way that this, that that now the the atmosphere of the gigs is extraordinary, that there's a feeling of, of, you know, people are so delighted that we're back doing stuff. That is humbling. I have lost count of the amount of times on social media. People have said, when are you going to get Geneva back together? Or please don't give up singing. And I'm sure some of the others have had that too. And I just feel... I feel really blessed by that, and it is. It is a little bit of a. It's you're right. It does sound maybe a little bit over the top, but it's almost like a little bit of a mini spiritual renewal in a sense, because you feel. We all felt that there was unfinished business. That there was this, the chance to kind of. You know, we we walked away from it, and it was all very sudden. Didn't announce that we'd 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 split up or anything. So it felt like. Actually, yeah, let's do this. We've got a little bit of a legacy. People care about the band, you know. It might not be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, but you know, we we've got a little niche, a place where the sun shines for us and the people that like our music. And why not go back to that and 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 remember the joy? But you know, I'm so even for the right hand turns that you, so memorably said. I'm really grateful to everything that music's given me. You know, even the bad stuff it made me a better person. Um, I would not have met these incredible three men in the band um, or Leo from us, if, if it wasn't for music, uh, moves that I've made in my life, moving to Brighton, moving, moving to Stockholm, have been music connected in one way or the other, moving to New York I've been or, or Las Palmas. Every place that I've lived has been a music element to why I moved, be it I met a girl through that, that, that situation or, you know, what have you. So... I, I, music is like the red thread that runs through my life and i'm pretty sure it's the red thread that runs through your life and and your listeners and because you know it doesn't matter whether you're playing in a band or you're listening to music music is a constant it's a way it's a way to that 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 kind of it settles you and it grounds you it gives you something um and, and i'm just grateful to it and i'm really grateful for a wee bit of a shot at redemption can you say
0: yeah, excellent. And it's interesting you mentioned Sweden because a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview with a member of a band called Easy. You know, I must admit, you know, were quite, oh, they were on Blast First Records. So they okay. Was, but, but anyway, but he was talking and we were chatting about life. And also that world that is Max Martin, has that kind of influence of the, the, the songwriter, you know, this the industry mm-hmm. that is Sweden for being able to write the perfect pop song, has that,
1: slight, has, has that sort of entered your aura at all? You know, Leo is more in touch a wee bit with that sort of stuff than me. I think he's maybe met Max Barton or he knows people that know him or something. And when you're working with electronic music, I suppose there is a little bit of an element of that, you know, the way you write electronic music is maybe a little bit different from guitar music. But at the flip side, um, Leo comes from a real Depeche Mode, you know, Nitsareb kind of synth background. I come from my indie background. Yeah. we're both quite nerdy about tv series and films and things like that so that's the kind of mercury in the mix that steers it away from maybe being a little bit too mainstream much as i've got great respect for max martin i'm not someone who's snobby about pop music great pop music is great pop music i mean you know think about one of sweden's finest pop export uh, exports robin and then that woman is an incredible incredible songwriter yeah. her music is amazing and you know that is the craft there in that sense. So, but I wouldn't say that it's it sort of in that sense it's a a north star or a lodestar for us. It's it's more of a it's more of a kind of something that's in the background. Um, we're just more about we're more about kind of just intelligent pop songs that doesn't sound too snobbish and pompous. You know, with an electronic setting, it's a little bit filmic. It's emotional. It reaches people. It moves people. Um, that's the plan with us. And it was always a plan with Geneva in the guitar sense was just to move people, to reach people and communicate with people. Um, and thankfully, you know, with, with, um, I'm I'm lucky enough that I've been able to kind of combine the two and I've been able to, I've got a day job and they've been very kind and given me, giving me some leave. Um, and, you know, I've been able to come over to Scotland to, to, to work with the boys and then uh, do the tour. So we'll just see, we'll see where things take us. We're starting to do a bit of writing Geneva. So we'll just see where, where things take us but again you know bloody hell music to to paraphrase um alec ferguson
0: yes i was gonna say (laughs) yes i did make i did think of alex then (laughs) Uh, the
1: great alex yes
0: (laughs) music so just briefly just and just last question what would you what would you say to an 18 year old self just starting in that kind of interest and sometimes
1: Mm. murky world Uh, i would say have a backup plan vis-a-vis something else you can do if it doesn't work out um be prepared for the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune Uh, make sure you can find someone you can trust to work with you know because there are plenty of wise guys and fly guys but above all i would say if you're really feeling this you're at the age where okay you can't quite live on air but it sometimes feels like it That's the time to really, really push it and pursue it and immerse yourself in it. And in particular, I would say to a singer, and this is to my everlasting regret, learn an instrument. Learn an instrument so you can write yourself or even just learn how to program, work with GarageBand. And then play, get out there, play, write songs, try things and and give it a few years and just do everything you can. If you have to work somewhere to, to make some money, so be it. But be prepared for if it's going somewhere, great. If it's not going to get you exactly where you want, combine it with something else like I've had to do with you for years. It doesn't make you any less of a person. So so it's kind of like, it's a little bit kind of go for it, but also just keep checking over your shoulders you do it and just make sure that you're, you know, you've got a backup plan.
0: Yes, good, good advice. Pay your national insurance.
1: Pay yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> but enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it you know be if you've got that creativity in you let it shine let it out there
0: excellent well look i'm gonna have to
1: go in a minute andrew but thank you ever so much are you in sweden at the moment i am yeah i'm in stockholm oh blimey let's go back yesterday so um okay. <laughs> God, okay let me know if you're ever over here david and we'll i can show you around town
0: yeah oh fantastic well look best of luck for your your to- yes it's just yes it's all going isn't it it's it's brilliant it
1: but um it yeah. is well, well we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see what happens we're going next but do keep in touch it's been a pleasure speaking to you yeah sorry that it was a false start but it's been worth it i hope yeah I, um, no it's been amazing
0: well look thank you ever so yeah. much and You're take care so
1: welcome take care let us know when it comes out okay? i will
0: i'll put it on social media and all that okay thanks Good a lot everyone. take care cheers now david Bye-bye. take
1: care best of luck bye